Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Soap Central Live. I'm your host, Dan Kroll, and I want to thank all of you for tuning in to this week's very special episode. If you can believe it, there are only a handful of days left in 2010, so it's time to take a look back at all of the action over the last 12 months on your favorite soaps. In a unique way, we're doing it two scoop style. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the term two scoops, that is the name of our opinion columns on SoapCentral.com. You can find them in our scoop section by either clicking the scoop tab at the top of any page on the site or by clicking the commentary button. Each week, our two scoops columnists offer their opinions on the previous week's action. So you can read their columns and find out if you agree with what they've said or think that they're absolutely out of their minds. And after reading each column, you're able to send an email and offer your thoughts on what you thought of the action and the column. Of course, our Two Scoops columnists love reading from you, and they'll try to write back as often as they can, but they may even use your comments in a future column. So for the first time here on Soap Central Live, we have nearly all of our Two Scoops columnists under one roof. And with that many opinions, who knows what's going to happen. We're going to kick things off in Salem with our year-end look at Days of Our Lives. Joining me are our Two Scoops columnists, Tony and Larissa, who have both been on the show before. Now, they take things very seriously. In fact, they've actually given their own names to the best of and worst of columns. Tony, why don't you explain a little bit about what you've named the best of column? Well, we actually call them the Golden Donut Awards. The, the Golden best of Days 2000. Blah, the blah, Golden blah. Donuts. Why the Golden Donuts, of all things? Well, as any true Days fan knows, the heart of Salem was Alice Horton, and she always baked but, um, baked goods, and it was always donuts. And so I think even passerby Days fan knows, like, Alice Horton Donuts, Alice Horton Donuts. So we thought, Golden Award Statue, Donuts, bam, Golden Donuts. But on the flip side, Larissa, we have the worst of the year, and those have a little bit of a dubious name. They are called... They are called the Alex North Memorial Awards. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so why the Alex North Memorial Awards? Well, fans of any soap can, I'm sure, relate to when a favorite actor comes back to the soap and either their character is just not how you want him to be. Um, in Days of Our Lives case, Wayne Northrup came back to Days, and he played a character named Alex North. Now, Wayne Northrup is most known for playing Roman Brady. And when Alex North came back, oh, my goodness, Days fans, including myself, just, it was sacrilege that this horrible, horrible, horrible character wasn't such a fan-favorite actor. So it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek nod. It's nothing against the actor. He did a fantastic job. But unfortunately, sometimes somebody draws the short straw, and they get just a storyline that is bonkers, and that's what happened with Alex North. There always seems to be something that's bonkers on the soap. No matter whether it's a good year or a bad year, there's always at least one storyline that stands out as, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. So let's start off right. right at the top. What would you say is your pick for the one storyline on Days of Our Lives in 2010 that, let's just say, didn't quite live up to its billing? 
Please, first. In, in, when I'm thinking about what the worst storyline was, the worst storyline for me, and it wasn't because it was bonkers, it was just because it turned me into a blubbering idiot, was the uh, Alice Horton tribute, which was fantastically done and beautiful. But for poor me, I sat on my couch and sobbed for three re- weeks straight. My husband thought there was something wrong with me, but I, I was trying to explain to him how Grandma Horton had died. Um, but that for me was was definitely the one that was hardest. I think Tony has a one that's better for more bonkers, but for me that one was that one was hard, hard for hard for my poor little day's heart to take. It sounds like it's still hard for you. It is. It is. I'm working on it though. So bonkers storylines. Yes, I would have to say the moment that Sammy Brady shot EJ Demare through the head or in the head. <laughs> Sammy's done some pretty crazy stuff, and I think most of the 90s, you know, mid-90s to early 2000s, the H fans tuned in two days to watch, uh, to see what Sammy did next. But this was kind of out of left field. I, I have to say it was just kind of, Sammy being impulsive, yes, but this was kind of when you're taking the concept of she shot him in the head. It's one of those things that kind of transcends bonkers. It's just bizarre, like, period. It's, it's kind of one of those, you can't kind of shrug and do a hearty belly laugh and get over it. So it's just not sitting well with me yet because I'm not exactly sure how I'm supposed to feel about it. Okay, let's turn the page and let's talk about the best storyline of 2010. Uh, you, you mean uh, shooting someone in the head isn't happy and jolly? It depends, no. I guess, on who it okay. is. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, no, for the best, it's one of those things, bittersweet moments, Alice's memorial. To me, like that was one of the kind of a moment of days that I haven't seen in years. It was just uh, so many characters were brought back. So many emotions were running just all over the place, just sorrow and just rejoicing Alice's life. And, and Frances, really, I mean, that's, of course, you know, she brought the heart and soul to Alice. So I think it was just as hard as it was as a day's fan to get through. It was just so amazing. Ken Corday, he promised a big event for that, and he delivered it. It was just from the character returns to the storyline itself to the writing. It just it worked really well. It's interesting, Larissa. Your worst storyline was actually Tony's best. So let's find out. Was your best storyline Sammy shooting somebody in the head? Not so much. No, no. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big anti-shooting people in the head person. Um, my favorite storyline. Well, it is, you know, for future reference for all the all the two scoop fans out there. Um, my favorite storyline has to deal with my favorite character in Days, which is Victor Kiriakis, and I adored that they paired up Victor and Vivian first as kind of partners in crime, and then when they actually married them, and it's funny because when they got married, they actually became more enemies. And from that spawned this whole great Brady kind of going to the dark side and Nicole having to grow a soul, and there's all these neat, interesting character development tendrils that came out of Vivian and Victor uh, being paired together. So I was a big, big fan of that one. And no one got shot, so there's that. Buried alive, and eh, shot is much worse. Well, that sounds like a really good preview for, of course, your best of 2010 column, The Golden Donuts, which will be posted on December 26th on SoapCentral.com. And then a week later on January 2nd, 2011, it's the Alex North Memorial Awards. And as Larissa said, dun, 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 for the worst of the year in 2010. So look for those. And every other week, you can check out their alternating columns where they talk about what's going on in the world of Days of Our Lives. And they are certainly a joy to read. And you guys have been doing this column for, it seems like forever, but it's maybe six, seven years or so? 2007. Yeah, we're a little younger. Yeah. 
Well, you've got, let's see, I think internet years are about 12 years on the internet, so that means you've been doing it for about 48 years. This is great. And, it's been so and, and we look fabulous for being that old, let me tell you. Yeah, we haven't even aged a bit, that's the best part. As you might expect, Tony and Larissa had a lot more to say, but unfortunately we couldn't fit all of it into today's show. So I've made the extended interview available on SoapCentral.com. It's there available exclusively, so while you're checking out their best and worst of columns, the best, of course, on December 26th and the worst the week of January 2nd, you'll be able to download or stream what you didn't hear in today's show and still go about reading all of your recaps, character profiles, and Two Scoops columns. We're now going to travel from Salem, USA to the town of Landview, Pennsylvania. And a Two Scoops columnist from One Life to Live is making his first appearance here on Soap Central Live. So let's extend a warm welcome to one of our most opinionated columnists. But that doesn't keep people from coming back and reading it every other week. Michael. Michael, welcome to Soap Central Live. Hi there. So there's been a lot of stuff that's gone on in Landview in 2010. Let's start with the highlights. What are your picks for some of the best storylines or your favorite moments on One Life to Live in 2010? Well, I think the uh, really the, the biggest highlight for the year would have to be uh, everything and anything having to do with uh, Bo and Nora and Bob Woods and Hillary Smith. It took a very long time to reunite the couple, but basically everything that came out of that, from the wedding to the reunion to everything that's going on right now at the end of the year, uh, I think that really all of that really re-energized the show and made it whole again in a lot of ways. That's a big thing. And I also think that everything Clint's doing has, has really <laughs> juiced everything up. Between that and Kim Zimmer coming back in a very unlikely role uh, that I'd never expect to see again, it's really given the veteran characters so much story. And I think that's where the meat has been for most of the year. Well, just quickly, what did you, when you heard that Kim Zimmer was coming back, if not Echo, what would you have seen her doing as a character on One Life to Live? Oh, I have, I have no idea. I mean, she had some role in the 70s where she played some sort of long-suffering 60s radical who showed up, I guess, and gave people a lot of trouble. And uh, I mean, either of the roles she had on the show were so obscure. And it was one of those things that came out of nowhere. You're like, what? Really? But it happened. And when they did it, I mean, I don't think anyone expected it to work, frankly. But I did like her. And it turned out really well. I think they salvaged the whole Rex uh, paternity storyline very well after that whole unfortunate uh, Native American interlude, which I try not to think about. Um, and it's, it's come together in a really interesting way because it's managed to bring it back to characters we actually care about, which is you know, Clint and Vicky and Charlie. And I love that Clint remembers everything Rex has done. And is like, no, I'm not, I'm not having this. I don't care who he is. I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. He's not in the family. It seems that for a lot of people, the highlight, you'd mentioned Clint. I think a lot of people are liking that he's maybe Asa 2 or whatever you'd like to call it. And people like that there's somebody who's kicking people around in town again. Yeah, well, I think there's a poetry to it. I mean, I, I've, I've heard the complaints that is out of character, and I understand that to a certain point, because Clint, Clint Richie's Clint was a very decent and wonderful, loving family man. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the mythology of the character, and of all those characters, was built on the fact that Clint had had run away from Asa and from the family uh, as, a, as a young man, and he tried to get away from the legacy. But with Asa gone, there was a power vacuum, and that was established as soon as Asa died. And the only person who could step in was Clint. And I think they, they 
one of the things they have done in the last couple of years, even though it's been some rocky times, is they very clearly articulated that this is the only thing that can be done. Clint has to do it. He's the only one who can do it, so he becomes his father. And Asa did go to these extremes uh, many times, especially near the end of his life when they just started occasionally writing him like he was Mussolini. But I think it worked, and I, I think they've covered their bases. Well, we talked about filling a hole by using Clint, but there were some other holes, according to you, in your Two Soups column that sort of came through in 2010. So, what are some of your least favorite moments or least favorite stories from the year gone by? Oh, well, uh, well, first of all, um, and I'm, I've belabored this point, and it's, it's more of a general issue, but there are other stories. The first thing is a general issue, which was basically the purging of all sorts of minorities at the beginning of the year. They got rid of Kyle and Oliver, they got rid of Rachel for no reason. And Rachel was supposed to go out of town for a couple of days to like see somebody. And she never came back. And like, the Fords have her apartment now, which is ridiculous. It's the same apartment. You go back and look, it's the exact same apartment. And that's ridiculous. So it, of course that goes back to the Fords. It's like, it, it went for a very long time from, and this is still a problem. It went from one life to live to sort of, you know, three Fords to suck. And, that's where it's at. I mean, you, these characters basically took over the show. I can't get away from them. They're everywhere I go. They're not that interesting. So there's that, and everything they involved with them, except for poor John Wesley Shipp. Uh, and then there's the whole Team Jessica story. I don't know who that was supposed to appeal to. It was <laughs> it was troubling. And then there was the thing with Mitch. When Mitch got carted off the show like a Scooby-Doo villain, like he was old Mr. Weatherby, the carnival owner, and he, you know, they're going to go put him in the pokey, and that's what he gets. <laughs> Jail is just a vacation for Mitch. You can't, nothing, conventional weapons can't get rid of Mitch. He's been killed on screen twice, and yet they were so desperate to end the story. They're like, oh, well, he's in jail. It's fine. Nothing's going to happen. Well, that's a great preview for your column. If you are interested in reading his column, be sure to check it out the week of January 2nd, 2011. It's the best and worst of One Life to Live in 2010 from Michael. Michael, thanks yes, for joining I me today. Absolutely. I shouldn't be hung over by then, so I'm sure the column will be great <laughs> after I recover from whatever happened over the New Year. So I, I can't wait for everyone to read it and tell me I, either how right I am or how wrong I am. That'd be great. Well, maybe you can write two columns, one while you're uh, drinking and one afterwards when you've had time That's, to think about things. <laughs> I was considering it. Well, I was considering it. There's uh, an even added bonus for everybody out there. <laughs> what am I going to do with these two scoops columnists, everybody? turning in columns while they're tipsy. Well, I guess it makes sense because there are times where it probably sounds as though I'm drunk while I'm hosting this show. And uh, you can hear more about that next week on our look back at the first year of Soap Central Live. There are a lot of highlights and a lot of funny moments, so tune in next week for that. But now we're going to head from Landview, Pennsylvania up to Genoa City, Wisconsin. My next guest has been writing Two Scoops columns for nearly 10 years. And if you can believe this, she and I have never spoken prior to today. Call it a Christmas miracle if you want. But here comes Nita. Nita, welcome to Soap Central Live. Thanks, Dan. I'm happy to be here, of course. Can you believe, first time, 10 years, and here we are just chatting away on the show. Yes, after many emails back and forth, I finally get to talk to my cyber buddy. Well, good. Well, let's see if we're still cyber buddies after this show, because we're going to talk about your best and worst of The Young and the Restless in 2010. Let's start off with maybe the things that didn't quite work for you. I know you have 
at least one or two characters that you really didn't like in 2010, but let's let you tell the story. What are your picks for some of the worst moments and worst storylines in 2010? Okay, well, my top would have to be, this is a long one, this is what I call the Sarah Daisy Ryder Deacon Emily Jana Lawrence <laughs> mess. Mess, you know, this, okay. This, this storyline, it had everything, including the kitchen sink. And my problem was with it was that a lot of it made no sense. You had the Lauren lookalike, you had Sheila's Demon Sea twins, and you had Jan and Lauren caged in a supposedly abandoned zoo, but the zoo had lights and music. And this storyline, it seemed like it was never going to end. It just kept, it, it, it like it multiplied and it got worse and worse. But finally, we get to the end. We get to the big rescue. Lauren and Jana come home and we think, finally, Kevin and Jana, they're going to get back together, live happily ever after. What happened? Jana goes emotionless, hooks up with Ryder, and then here we go again, a whole nother round of nonsense. And that wasn't even the worst of it. The kicker came just last month. When Daisy, and you know, Daisy's universally hated by fans first time around, she came back. Why? Did the scribes hate us? So that one has to be my number one pick of storyline I hated the most of 2010. I believe you called Daisy a bad penny. Yes, the bad penny. She rolled back into town. I thought she was gone. It made my day when she was finally gone. It didn't matter that she didn't go to prison. You know, she was just gone. All right. So let's now that we've got you worked up on one of the worst, <laughs> is there something that maybe was still eh, kind of yucky, but not as bad as this bad penny mess, as you called it? I have two other ones that were kind of like my things that I didn't like. Lily's cancer, it wasn't as bad as the Daisy thing. At least it was watchable. I didn't have to fast forward. I didn't fast forward Daisy, but I wanted to. But Lily's cancer, to me, I guess that was one of those things that probably when the scribe sat down, it was a great idea on paper, but somehow it just kind of fell flat. Hmm. You know, I, I thought it should have been a storyline that really just tugs on our heartstrings. I mean, so many of us have friends or family members that have this terrible disease, so we should have been feeling really empathetic, really just crying crocodile tears over Lily's misfortune. But instead, like a lot of the fans who wrote in and myself, the opposite happened. Lily, she, she didn't look sick, and somehow, instead of seeming brave and tragic, she just always whined. You know, if someone said something positive, Lily inevitably came back with a comeback that was just totally negative. You, it was, you couldn't cheer up if they thought, well, you could beat this, or I probably won't. It was that kind of a thing. You know, that storyline was one that I really wanted to like it, but it's just something just not quite there for me. Okay, well, you know what? Let's turn the page then. Let's talk about some things that you really did like in 2010. What would be some of your favorite moments or favorite storylines of the year gone by? I have to say my top favorite was when little Faith Newman was finally reunited with her parents, Nick and Sharon. Mm -hmm. you know, as a mom, that one, I, I wanted that one resolved sooner rather than later. Like, I was afraid it would happen when Faith was 18 or, or older. You know, and I thought with Adam, <laughs> Adam kept saying how much he loved Sharon, and I wanted him to show that he loved Sharon more than he loved himself, and to do that, he would have had to tell her that Faith was alive. And 
that one was one of my that was one of my top ones. It was it was really heart tugging because you know Ashley had to give up Faith and give her to her parents and Sharon and Nick were just so overjoyed to have the daughter that they thought was dead back. And I think if there was you know the only thing that would have made it better would have been if Adam would have told her on his own instead of telling her after Phyllis pretty much blew him out of the water. Mm-hmm. And then my my other ones they kind of I think with 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 um. I like the the pairing of Victoria and Billy. That one came out of nowhere, and it worked for me. You know, I think they're just the cutest together. I think Billy is just, I love how he's protective of Victoria, and he, he stands up for her, and he, he faces down Victor, just all of that. He's like the perfect boyfriend material, perfect husband. So that was that was another one of my top. Along with that, you know, I do have one tiny little thing, and that's just his whole thing with rest of style and all about beating down Newmans, you know, so it would be nice for Rest of Style to be a magazine that had something to do with something other than the Newmans for a change. <laughs> that might be too much to ask for. I have become quite attached to these make-believe people. In fact, sometimes I watch them and I forget that they're not real. And Uh-oh. I forget that they're not my family. <laughs> you know, I got to tune in and see what is Jack doing today? What's Ashley up to? You know, Victor, who I love to hate, but I love him just the same. So it's it's nice that at least for the next three years, you know, I'll get to watch and hopefully continue writing about them. Oh, well, certainly. We're, we would love to have you continue writing. And for those of you out there who maybe are not familiar with Nita's column, she is posting her best and worst of 2010 on SoapCentral.com the week of December 26th. So you can find out more of her highs and lows. And after you're done reading that, of course, you can go back as far as 2004 and read some of her old columns. She has a lot of opinions, as you've heard. And uh, maybe you'll agree with them, maybe you'll disagree with them, and you love getting uh, email either way, one way or the other, whether they agree or don't agree. Right, Nita? I love it either way. I always, I always tell people that you know I write the column, but it's about, it's all about the fans, and you know, so I I try to include their comments because I don't want it to just be my opinions. You know, some opinions agree with me and some don't. You know, so it's I want to know how everybody feels about it. So it kind of helps balance us out. I'm I'm quite opinionated and I talk a lot, as you can see. So <laughs> it's nice to be able to include a few other voices besides mine. Sounds good to me. I want to thank you for being part of today's show and I hope that you'll come back on Soap Central Live in 2011. Well, I would love to, Dan. It's been a pleasure talking to you. My next guest has been writing Two Scoops columns for SoapCentral.com for more than two years, but this marks her first time as a guest here on Soap Central Live. Allison J. Waldman also holds the distinction of being the only current columnist to cover two soaps, alternating weeks between The Bold and the Beautiful and The Young and the Restless. So, Allison, my question for you is which of those two soaps do you think had a better year overall, B&B or Y&R? Boy, that's a, that's a loaded question. you got to <laughs> insult somebody with your answer. Uh, you know, I'm tempted to say Bold and the Beautiful because it, it did have two years in a row of winning the Emmys for Outstanding Show. But my gut reaction is that Young and the Restless had a better year. Uh, I just think that the characters were put in a in more focus. I think the emphasis, they really... They really increased the emphasis on on Victor this year and on Nikki, which I think a lot of people wanted to see that laid out again. And I think when, when a show spent a lot of time on its veteran characters, that pleases the fans the most. 
Okay, so let's start with The Young and the Restless. Overall, from January to December, what would you say has been your favorite storyline of 2010? Well, I really think that the, the recent stuff in New Orleans was so beautifully done, it's hard to kind of put that out of your mind. Uh, but I think the, the focus on Adam throughout the year has just really, really worked. I thought the character was completely uh, lost after, you know, the whole Sabrina uh, incident in the house and when he was basically, uh, you know, I, I thought he was going to be convicted after that. I didn't think there was a way out. They found a way out. They, they killed him, faked the death, sent him off to Brazil, reintroduced the Sky character, and that just opened up a whole new avenue of storytelling that even put Victor and Jack together. So I think... That whole dynamic just really, really worked. Uh, the only the only element of it that I thought was weak was Sean Young, because while her initial appearance as Maggie in Ottawa was convenient, her then coming back into the story and warming her way into Nikki and Victor's life was just stupid, and and it was very telegraphed. I thought everybody saw that one coming a mile away. So um, that part of the story didn't work. But everything else around it, and even now, the way they've, they've brought this whole thing back into the fore with Sharon inexplicably choosing Adam uh, in, and rejecting Nick and not turning Phyllis into this harridan, uh is just been fantastic. Well, I know that reading some of the email, the Sharon and Adam storyline has been probably one of the most talked about storylines from fans over the past year. Oh, yeah, because uh, it's just, it's hard to fathom because what she has with Nick just seems so storybook. And the character, we thought that, you know, her reaction to losing faith was that she went into this nervous breakdown and then she was doing, you know, and before the nervous breakdown, she was shoplifting because of the stress of not having Nick in her life and, so you, you, you would think that once she had faith, once she had Nick, once she had the happy ending, that she would accept it and thrive. And instead, she almost immediately was drawn back to Adam. And what she did in New Orleans by accepting him, going to bed with him, committing to him, was just a shocking turn. And most people who have always equated this character with being a good girl are just stunned that she's become this complete fool. Well, that wasn't one of the only moments that had people talking about maybe it not being the best storyline decision or the best just decision overall. What are some of your other worst moments or worst storylines of 2010? Well, I think the, uh, the return of... Well, it wasn't the return of Sheila. It turned out to be the return of Sheila's sister, Sarah, who was Lauren's twin, who had magically had her plastic, herself plastic <laughs> surgery to look just like Lauren Fenmore. Totally ridiculous. But even that was pushed over the edge when Sarah manipulated Daisy and Ryder to kidnap Lauren and Jana and put them in a cage. I mean, this was the stupidest storyline, insulting to the intelligence of the viewer, and absolutely maddening because you wanted to 
you just, you know, you were like yelling. It was one of those yelling at the TV screen kind of storylines, you know? And you couldn't wait for it to end. And now that they've brought Daisy back into the mix, it's like, please, I'm ready to vomit. Could you, could you get rid of this woman? I hear some dazed music from our listeners who are not maybe familiar with The Young and the Restless, and in the past minute or so, they've had to digest evil person, sister, twin, cage, locked up, and back. It's, uh, (laughs) I think, (laughs) even for me, and I know what you're talking about, I had to sit and think, I don't know where, (laughs) I don't know what she's talking about, it's crazy. (laughs) As I mentioned, Allison also writes the Two Scoops column for The Bold and the Beautiful every other week. So here she is now talking about the year on B&B, which, of course, she already previewed may not have been as good as the year on Y&R. Allison, what are some of the lowlights that you can single out for B&B over the past 12 months? Well, I think the problem with Bold and the Beautiful is there's been a tremendous emphasis on the youth. I thought they wasted an awful lot of the year on Steffi becoming Stephanie Jr. And then an awful lot of the time on Hope and her hapless love life, first with Oliver and then with Liam. And all of that is just, you know, juvenile claptrap after a while. You just get bored with it. And they just keep going in circles and circles and circles. And meanwhile, you have wonderful character, wonderful actors sitting around doing nothing and not having enough storyline. I I wish Bone the Beautiful would realize that you're not really going to draw that youthful demographic like you think you are. You know, stick with what works. There's too many characters on that show that are sitting on the shelf doing nothing. One of the things that the show has been doing of late that I can't recall them doing in the past is they've actually tackled social issues, be it cancer or homelessness. And a lot of people were surprised that a show that sometimes maybe is fluffier than others really went for some hard-hitting stuff. And I understand that they sort of resonated with you even though you didn't expect them to. Absolutely. I I thought when uh, Stephanie went to downtown Skid Row, L.A., and met Daisy. I kind of winced when I read about that in advance. I was like, oh, this, this is going to really be bad. But it was surprisingly effective and surprisingly well done. And a lot of the credit for that, I think, goes, of course, to Brad Bell, who wrote it, but also to Susan Flannery, because she refused to play Stephanie as any kind of a... Uh, soft-hearted liberal and oh I feel so bad for these people she actually talked to the character of Daisy and really learned some things about homelessness and uh, even though I thought there were elements of the story that were a little bit too much of, of a public service announcement I respected the fact that they actually went down there actually filmed with real homeless people talked to them and kind of put a face on what homelessness is in, you know, 2010. Not what we think it is, but what it really is. It's people who've lost their homes, people who've had, you know, financial problems because of the recession, people who are just trying to get by for their, with their families and just get another chance. And uh, I give them real kudos because here's a show that has been pretty fluffy, like you said, and they really tackled a relevant issue 
and made it come to life. Allison, I want to thank you for being a part of our special year-end show, and hopefully we'll be able to have you on the show again in 2011. Absolutely. We'd love to do it, Dan. We're welcoming back Adam Michael James to Soap Central Live. He's here to give us a preview of his year-end best of, worst of, two scoops column. So, it sounds like there's a lot of us here, but it's really just two. Adam Michael James, welcome to Soap Central Live. Hello, Dan. It's great to be back. All right, so it's been an interesting year on the soaps. Let's talk about, well, let me let you pick. Do you want to talk about the highs of B&B or the lows of B&B first? Well, <laughs> um, it's been kind of an interesting year on B&B, so I think we'll start with the positive stuff. I mean, oh, wow. I mean, the first thing I think of, of course, is uh, the way Stephanie and Brooke bonded over Stephanie's cancer and the way Brooke got included um, when Stephanie was kind of out pursuing her bucket list, which I thought was over way too soon, by the way, because it was just, it was just so wonderful. And the, and the way they bonded after years of hating each other, it was it made me feel good. <laughs> no, it was that was a really good, interesting dynamic, and don't feel bad about wishing it had go on longer. I sort of wanted the same thing. I thought, wouldn't it be great if they all went off and did everything on the list together, just Brooke and Stephanie, you know, Thelma yeah, and Yeah, they still could. They still could. So, um, you know, putting that out there, Brad Bell, more bucket list. Um, I think the another favorite moment, although maybe you might want to call it most shocking, but it was the one moment that really stood out was, of course, Brooke takes off the mask at the party. Um, because, honestly, I, I sort of saw that coming, but I thought maybe it would be a, a fantasy thing. And it was the one Friday cliffhanger through the year where I was really kind of sitting there the whole weekend going, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can't wait till Monday's episode. Usually it's like, oh, well, yeah, you know, whatever happens. But that one I was like, oh, I, I, I got to find out. And then, of course, they actually did go through with it, which is a whole other thing. But um, that definitely stood out as, as a big moment for me. And I also liked, it was really short, but I liked the way they brought back Mike Guthrie. Remember Sheila's old cohort from the 90s? And um, anybody that reads my column knows, because I throw her name in like constantly, that Sheila was my favorite character on the show. And so anytime they do anything that's actually related to Sheila, I'm going to love it. And, and seeing Mike again was, was really pretty cool. And it kind of, I kind of got the impression that maybe the real non-plastic surgery, non-dead Sheila is still out there someplace. She's on All My Children as a judge. Actually. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. See, that's your show. <laughs> so you're going to know that. And, you know, the other thing, I, I had come to hate Pam Douglas with a passion. Hated her, hated her, hated her. But when she got involved with Stephen and, and kind of she did this turnaround and she got up in Stephanie's face and, and kind of really took responsibility for the things she had done. I loved that. That that was really cool because I, I think all my favorite moments with the show has to do with when they actually dig and they dig down into their history and, and you know, instead of the more fluffy, you know, kind of unbelievable stuff. We'd like to see more of that, Brad. Well, that's an interesting point. It was sort of a wonder year in that regard, but... It was also, I'm guessing, listening to you, a blunder year, and there were some stories that didn't quite work, or at least stories that you didn't like. So let's go to that. What are your picks for some of the worst moments and worst storylines of 2010? Well, I think anybody that has read my column this year is going to see this one coming a mile away, but the worst for me was the Bold and Beautiful's insistence on turning everything into the Steffi show. Um, I kind of thought her character just went off the deep end and not in a good way necessarily i mean when she wasn't trying to seduce unavailable men she was on this anti-logan tirade which you know was kind of unfounded and you know technically she's not a forester herself so i didn't really think she had much of a leg to stand on and 
I had hated, too, that Stephanie got hateful there for a while, of course, before the cancer storyline, which turned that around, so thank God for that. But um, I knew that was going to happen as soon as she left Jackie M, and I wasn't wrong. Taylor, I don't know what's up with her. Um, she either needs a complete overhaul or somebody at the show needs to go over her history again because I don't, I don't know who this sh- shrill, paranoid shrew we've been su- subjected to is this year. I, I don't really think it's Taylor. <laughs> also, I thought there were too many scandals. It was like every time you turned around, oh, there was a new scandal. But most of all, I would have to say, I just felt like the show whizzed through the storyline so fast. And, and I didn't really think it gave a chance for much suspense or buildup, which I think you really need for a... a a story to grab and hold you. And also they, they brought up so many story points and then completely dropped them. And I, I thought that was a little sloppy. Well, let me ask you, of course, The Bold and the Beautiful has won back-to-back daytime Emmys as best drama series based upon what you saw in 2010. Can they expect a three-peat? On the basis of the cancer slash homeless storyline, they probably will because that was the strongest material that they had all year. Other stuff, maybe not quite so much because to me it felt like and Brad Bell talked about this, too. He was in an interview, he was talking about how, you know, he was kind of trying to change things up on the canvas and just putting different characters and scenarios together. And it, it kind of felt like, you know, they were kind of experimenting. And um, not all of it worked. Well, I want to thank you for taking part in today's show. Hopefully, we'll have you on Soap Central Live in the new year, and you'll be sharing all of your views about The Bold and the Beautiful there as well. I would absolutely love that, Dan. You can look out for Mike's column on the best and worst of the bold and the beautiful. It'll be posted the week of January 2nd, 2011. My next guest has been a frequent contributor here on Soap Central Live, so it is only fitting that she is back for our best and worst of 2010, the Two Scoops edition. Please welcome back to the show, Tammy Lou Waite. Thanks, Dan. General Hospital, there was a lot going on in 2010 from international crime lords to big returns (laughs) to uh, just lots of stuff. So let's start with what were some of your favorite moments for 2010? Well, as far as favorite moments go, I'm going to go all the way back to January of 2010. I think probably one of the best scenes on General Hospital this year was the day that Lucky confronted Elizabeth and Nicholas when he found out about them sleeping together. The Emmy scene, that's, yes. Yeah, I still have that on my TiVo every now and then. When it's a bad episode, I go back and watch that one (laughs) 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 to remind myself how good it can be. (laughs) But I just thought that was a very powerful scene. And, you know, there's certain scenes in the history of soaps that that I watched over the years that stick with you. And that's going to be one of those that last, like, you know, the the One Life to Live scene where Karen Woolock has to admit on the stand she's a prostitute. That one stuck with me for 20 years. I mean, there's just scenes that are just really powerful, and I thought that was amazing this year. Yeah, it seems so crazy that that's all the way back to January, but I remember when that aired saying this is his Emmy scene. He is an Emmy winner. There's no one this year that will beat him, and, you know, I kind of still feel that way, even though it's so long ago and out of people's minds. Yeah, and on the female side, I thought that Lexi Ainsworth did an amazing job with the abuse storyline. I mean, it was a hard thing to watch, but as far as the acting and the writing, that was very powerful stuff, too, watching that little girl get crap beat out of her. <laughs> Can we say crap on the radio? I don't know. <laughs> if you haven't been listening to some of the other segments because these are pre-recorded, we've said worse. So yes, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought that was also, like I said, a very difficult to watch, but a powerful thing. And you know, during the time when that was airing, I got so many girls that were writing 
me letters that they either knew a girl or they themselves had been abused, and it really struck a chord with a lot of young girls. I would say probably 40% of the letters I get are people relating their own life experiences as compared to the storylines that are going on. So, but thankfully, no one's written me to tell me they relate to Lisa. <laughs> that, w- that would be scary. <laughs> That perhaps that provides us with a segue to storylines that didn't quite work in 2010. What are some of your picks for <laughs> the worst of Port Charles 2010? Well, okay. If I hear the words of the Balkan <laughs> <laughs> one more time, that has dragged on for so long. I think it had a good potential in, in the seed of thought where they came up with that storyline. It's a good idea, but they've dragged it up for so long. And, you know, this started several months ago, so people are getting kind of crazy about finding out the answers to that. And the Lisa storyline, of course, is absurd because the woman has gotten away with (laughs) things that most people would have been committed for the rest of their lives for and is still working at the hospital treating patients. In Lisa's defense, there have been people who have done far worse, and they're, you know, they've never even done time in jail. That's true. That is true. And, you know, in spite of myself, I, I like Lisa. <laughs> I know she's a psycho, but she's an enjoyable character to watch. But th- I think this, the frustration is that in in our own lives, when somebody is doing something horrible, we want them to get caught. And we've been wanting Lisa to get caught for a really long time. But if she gets caught, then she's going to be gone. So we don't want to lose her. And she signed another contract, so she might be getting away with things for a really long time. She could always spend the next six months of her contract in the mental institution. <laughs> this is true. Perhaps with uh, Heather Weber. <laughs> they would make ideal roommates. It's sort of like a dormitory. It's like college, but just <laughs> a little different spin <laughs> yeah. to it. <laughs> It's really kind of a cautionary tale for men. Don't sleep with your old college girlfriend. You don't know how crazy she's gone in the last 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that covers just about everything Port Charles, General Hospital, and daytime in general. So, of course, I want to thank you for being part of our year-end show, Tammy Lou. Thank you, Dan. My and pleasure. Tammy Lou's two-part Best of and Worst of General Hospital 2010 begins on December 26th when she posts the things that worked for her, the best of 2010. And then the following week, she kicks off the new year, January 2nd, with her picks for the worst of General Hospital 2010. We also have to talk about All My Children on today's show. And for those of you who don't know, you've actually been hearing the thoughts of our All My Children Two Scoops columnist, every single week here on Soap Central Live. Of course, that would be me. But rather than having you endure an eight-minute monologue of me talking about everything that's happened in Pine Valley in 2010, I've decided to bring on one of the recappers from All My Children so that we can go back and forth and share some of our mutual picks for the best and worst action. So, Chanel Garner, welcome to Soap Central Live. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right, so let's get to it. Storylines. What has been your favorite storyline on All My Children in 2010? Well, I think that after all the thought that I've had, my most favorite story throughout the year was the unlikely romance with Jay and Annie. And that surprised me a lot because I was thinking, okay, Annie's going to just keep spiraling downward. She's going to be kicked out of the house. That's going to be the end of it. I couldn't believe it when she gave her um, bone marrow to Jay. <laughs> And he 
practically spit in her face for it. And I was like, this is never, this is never going to go anywhere and create anything. The two of them are just going to obliterate each other. And then JR gets this great scheme and Colby keeps telling him, no, this is not going to work. You can't do this. You need to leave Annie alone. And he gets his great scheme. He's got this little suitcase with a camera in it. <laughs> He's setting it all up in this hotel. And Annie's just going along thinking, okay, finally somebody accepts me and somebody loves me or cares about me. I'm really going to be in the Chandler family. And, you know, he seduces her. She actually thinks what's going on. But JR is all like, yeah, I got my video, <laughs> and I'm fixing to expose you. But the most unlikely thing happens is that JR becomes obsessed with her, and, and he falls in love with her, and he ends up ruining his entire life trying to ruin hers. I have to agree with you. This was, for me, it had to be one of the best romances of 2010. Unfortunately, it's also one of the only romances of 2010. There's been a lot of unhappiness in 2010 but like you said this was something that was totally unexpected but i don't know why these men and women on our soaps don't know that when you pretend to love someone or you set out to seduce them as a game or you marry them because it's a business arrangement you're gonna fall in love with that person we've seen it time and time again it's nothing new i don't know where they've been i don't know what tv shows they're watching but they need to tune into a soap or two because they fall for the same thing over and over and over again there's that 1% chance that your plot will actually work. <laughs> They've got that 1% chance that they won't fall in love. <laughs> 1%? I think it's a lot less than 1%. <laughs> Speaking of percentages, there have been, in some viewers' eyes, a high percentage of storylines that just didn't pan out on All My Children over the past 12 months. So, if you can pick one, what would you say is your least favorite storyline of all my children in 2010 2010 for me was the year of blame it on david hayward me sing the song blame it on the rain okay i don't care why are you blaming everything on david hayward <laughs> I, I don't make any apologies david hayward is the reason that i watch all my children so i've been devastated with what's going on with his character this year I like that he was front and center stage because Vincent Irizarry is such a phenomenal actor. I've loved him ever since Guiding Light when he was Lujak, and then he became Nick, Lujak's brother, <laughs> and then he was um, David Chow, and now he's David Hayward. And everything, I don't care, Angie can stab, stab her toe. That's David's fault. Um, Tad can have a bad hair day. David did it, <laughs> you know? Jesse's out there riding traffic tickets, and he's like, you know, good and well, if you didn't buy this car like David Hayward, you wouldn't be getting this ticket. <laughs> everything was blaming on David. And so I just say the worst for me was, oh, okay, let me tell you. I went on the worst tirades on the message boards and everywhere else where Angie sat up there, and she blamed David for her being blind. And I'm going to tell you, why that upset me so much because okay david became the um donor or the whatever the hospital because um he got his license taken away from him his medical license so him and greenlee bought the, the hospital he was doing all these budget cuts and budget slashing or whatever she claims that because he slashed all of his budgets and um 
they didn't have the surgical gear or the or the protective gear that the doctors needed, and she had to go tend uh, to this child in emergency. And the child apparently had some kind of rare disease where it hurt his blood got on her. They always and, do. Um, <laughs> and Jesse wiped it off her face. Well, I don't know why he's not blind, but anyway. Um, and she started to go blind, and she was like, "Oh." I can't tell Jesse because he hates David and it's all David's fault. And I'm like, how is it David's fault? David didn't tell you to go in that operating room without your gear on. As a matter of fact, he uh, reprimanded her when he found out she wasn't using her gear. And I was like, you're being ridiculous because I don't see Frankie or Jade or anybody else running around the hospital talking about they don't have enough gloves, they don't have enough masks, and they can't do something. It's only you. You're the one who went in there, quote unquote, you know, not to be funny or pun intended, blindly, uh, you know, operating on this kid because you just have to save the world. I have to agree with you. I, I, I really do have to agree with you. I think one of the things about All My Children in 2010 is that in every story there was potential. But they didn't always reach the potential. Like for one of the storylines that I really didn't like because I thought it went on a little bit too long, Erica in her plane crash in the mountains of West Virginia. Yeah, there were some funny elements of that to me. Uh, certainly this guy from the mountains who is now crossing paths with the biggest diva who doesn't want to carry her suitcases. And Caleb calls Erica Dorothy because she fell from the sky and killed his house. is hilarious to me. That's good stuff. But there was just something missing from it. Even with the storyline that you just mentioned with Angie's blindness, I think it's heartbreaking to have someone have to choose between their vision and the life of their child. That should have been one of the saddest stories and the most heartbreaking stories of 2010. And it was at times. I think particularly when Angie was questioning her faith. When you have someone who is extremely devout and then something happens and it even sort of tries their own beliefs. I think that that's a powerful storyline. Uh, one that the soaps don't really talk about all that often because religion is still at times a taboo subject on the soaps. But even in that, it became, I don't want to say cartoonish, but there were just moments of it where you thought, okay, I really want to feel for this woman, and I can't because the way the storyline's being written. That's a problem for me. Chanel, I have to tell you, it took 50 episodes of Soap Central Live, but someone has now finally sang a Millie Vanilli song on Soap Central Live. <laughs> I don't know that that will ever be duplicated, so I want to thank you for that first, probably, and once and only and done. Uh, I think we should maybe lead out of this segment by singing a little Baby Don't Forget My Number. So, don't coming up after the <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's not only our Two Scoops columnists who have been dipping into the eggnog. Now, to get serious for just a moment, of course, you've heard columnists during today's show say that undoubtedly the worst soap moment in 2010 was the cancellation of As the World Turns. Even though As the World Turns is no longer still on the air, we're not going to pretend that it didn't exist. So we have joining us today Jennifer Biller, who was a Two Scoops columnist for As the World Turns, and she will also be contributing a year in review with the best and worst of As the World Turns. So Jennifer, welcome back to Soap Central Live. Thank you, Dan. It's great to talk to you again. Now, of course, when we're talking about the best and the worst of As the World Turns in 2010, 
undoubtedly the worst moment is the end of As the World Turns. But other than that, were there any stories along the way that surprised you that maybe were misses? There were several, actually, that had me rolling my eyes. And um, just let me preface that by saying you don't realize how much you miss something until it's gone. (laughs) So even though I would be complaining about these things in my column, I mean, now that the show is off the air and I'm trying to find a replacement uh, show to watch, I I really do realize at the time maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought, but a couple things that drove me absolutely crazy and are in the running for my worst storyline Meg going crazy and ending up in the mental hospital. Uh, <laughs> one of my pet peeves in Daytime Dan is character assassination. It's yeah. one of the worst affronts that writers can make, in my opinion. And taking a character like that, who was so steeped in Oakdale history and turning her into a desperate, manipulative shell of herself, uh, that did not sit well with me. When she first came back to town, she had so much potential, but she turned into this desperate woman to make Paul love her, and it, it got to the point that it was beyond ridiculous. I know for a fact that there were quite a few things about As the World Turned in 2010 that you did like. So can you maybe preview some of your picks for uh, maybe most memorable moment, favorite storyline, anything that you'd like to tease in your upcoming column? Sure. Uh, And there were. It seemed like as as time went on, the show tended to get better and better. There were little things like um, I know the fans really hated the character of Janet. Um, because you know you're coming between she was coming between us the super couple of the show jack and carly um so i think fans were really upset that her family took a lot of screen time but uh, on the same note you had really fantastic storylines reed oliver the best new character i think to come to daytime period not just as the world turns but uh he was such a fantastic character and he shook up one of the most popular romances on the show luke Mm -hmm. and noah no one ever would have thought you could ever mess with Luke and Noah and he did and I think the great thing about him was that he was such a well-rounded character and yes he was gay but that did not define his character it was just sort of a a part of who he was uh, that is in the running for one of my best storylines Reed Oliver coming to town um, um, I also really loved I know this was not a popular move but I really loved Molly and Holden I thought they had fantastic chemistry and we were all sad that Martha Byrne did not return as Lily, and I think that was a big hole in the ending and the finale. But It was. But there was chemistry between Molly and Holden, and I think he sort of came alive. We hadn't seen that in a while, and he had some really great scenes toward the end. For those of you out there who liked what Jennifer had to say or maybe disagree with everything she said in this last segment, you can <laughs> check out her year in review of As the World Turns when it is posted on SoapCentral.com the week of December 26. Thanks, Jennifer, for stopping by. Thank you for having me, Dan. We're continuing talking about As the World Turns because, as I mentioned, just because the show is off the air, it doesn't mean that it didn't exist. So we are now joined by our second Two Scoops columnist. Reggie Jackson is back on the show, and he's going to share with us his hits and misses of 2010. So, Reggie, welcome back to Soap Central Live. Hi, Dan. Thank I guess you. you thought that once the show was over, you wouldn't be asked back. Well, aha uh, ha Yes, I thought that. <laughs> it's canceled. <laughs> As I mentioned, of course, with Jennifer in the last bit, we know that the worst of 2010 for As the World Turns was the show's cancellation. So right. we'll set that aside for a minute. But were there some other storylines for you that didn't work as the year went on? Yes, 
actually the one that didn't work and it was towards the end it was the killing of reed at the end i thought that was just so i thought it was so horrible that they killed him at the end and they didn't give luke the kind of ending they gave like a janet or some of these other characters who had not been on the show as long well there were though some things that were happy in 2010 so let's focus now on some of the moments and storylines for you that were the hits of the year gone by Okay, I was quite pleased with the way, uh, and I'm, I'm concentrating a lot on the ending, but I really, I really like the way that it ended with uh, Carly and Jack that they finally got married and that she was pregnant again. I really enjoyed that. Um, I also liked uh, the Kim and Bob storyline towards the end when, uh, you know, that he actually made a, a decision about his retirement, and they were on a lot towards the end. And Lucinda and John, too. Those are the things that I really love because they concentrated a lot on the veterans towards the end, and that was quite, that was a, that was a nice little uh, cherry on top of the cake as it ended. You've had some time to think about it now. What did you actually think of the final scenes of As the World Turns? Were they still as emotional for you as they were when we talked earlier this year, or have you time to had time to reevaluate it? I did enjoy. I, actually, I did enjoy. It. I still I did enjoy the ending, but I have not been able to watch it a second time yet. So uh, I want to get to a point where I have it on my TiVo, and I keep looking at it and say maybe I should watch it. And I said no, I better not watch it. <laughs> so uh, not quite yet. Uh, I said no, I, I'm not ready to like revisit that like yet so uh but i did i thought it was well done i thought the ending was well done and that will bring us to the close of today's special look back at 2010 with our two scoops columnists from soapcentral.com even though there was a lot said on today's show if you can believe this not everything made it into the show so be sure to look for your favorite two scoops columnist column the week of December 26th or the week of January 2nd, and check out the links to the extended interviews where you can listen to all the things that we talked about that didn't make it to the air, including the big news stories from each soap, what the columnists are looking forward to in 2011. There's a whole lot more to be said, and I think that you'll really enjoy being able to hear the extended versions of each of the interviews with the Two Scoops columnist. Now, on behalf of everyone involved in SoapCentral.com, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to today's show. I'd like to wish you and your loved ones a very Merry Christmas. And don't forget to tune in next week for a look back at the first year of Soap Central Live. There are many, many laughs ahead in that show, so you're definitely going to want to tune into the show before you head out to Ring in the New Year. But until then, I have to go put out some milk and cookies and perhaps an apple for Rudolph. But I'll be back next week for another edition of Soap Central Live.